Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Hey everyone, welcome back to the B-Side Podcast. Um, this is not Steve King, this is Greg Kabachian, and so um, Steve has taken his energetic, organized voice elsewhere this morning, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're, we're, I'm here with Pastor Matt. You're left, you're left with the, the Armenian dream team, yeah. the, the Kabachian Luloyan, uh, we're representing the old world in That's this right. in this conversation, in this podcast episode right here. That is right. Yeah. So uh, yesterday you started, you kicked us off with a new sermon series that you may know going through First John. And actually, before we get in, just to remind people, you can pick up your First John scripture journals at church in these next couple weeks. Uh, there's a suggested donation of $5. You can pay with cash or through the app, and the journals are in the fellowship hall. Um, Matt, as before we get going, would you mind just summarizing what yesterday's text and sermon was all about? Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, Greg, you know, getting to kick off this new series in First John, we've gotten into a rhythm over the years, generally speaking, of doing an Old Testament book in the fall and then a New Testament book in the spring. Advent um, is this great moment where we're anticipating the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He comes into the world. So the Old Testament, of course, anticipates that, builds to it. Advent, we get to celebrate it. And then the spring kind of flowing out of that and into Easter, we talk a lot about what life uh, because of Jesus' incarnation looks like, what life for the Christian looks like. So excited to be in First John. Uh, it's one of five books in the Bible written by the Apostle John. He wrote the Gospel uh, called John, which is the life, the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. He wrote Revelation, and then he wrote these three letters or epistles. And so we're, we're spending the next several months just in the first one of those called First John. So yesterday served as a little bit of an intro to the whole series and the letter, um, also, uh, the kind of key phrase that shows up in, in these opening words, the prologue of first John is the word of life. So yesterday we talked about that. You may know life. Uh, you'll, you'll find out in the weeks ahead that this series, each, each sermon is, uh, that you may know something and, and John kind of weaves it. It's, it's really funny how John writes this because it's not so much a, uh, a very linear letter where he goes, you know, topic A, topic B, topic C. He goes like, you know, A, B, C, B, C, A. He, just kind of, he kind of dances are all over the place. And he talks about some of the same things a lot in different places. But yesterday we kicked it off talking about that you may know life. And we talked specifically about his phrase there, the word of life. And we talked about what that is, um, how we know it, and then third, why we need it. Um, just kind of following John's train of thought there in those first four verses. That's awesome. Thank you uh, for that summary. Um, we have some great questions this morning, so we'll just jump right into those. The first one is this. You said in the sermon, if Christ is fully God and fully man, then we have to submit to what he said. Hmm. And the question is this. How do we know that Christ is fully God and fully man? Um, just a personal anecdote. I, like a few years ago, I don't know if this was right or wrong of me, so don't make any ethical judgments. But like, I thought um, you can order Qurans online for yeah. free, and they'll just send them to you. So my reasoning was like, I 
better Quran in my hands than somebody else's. Yeah. And so I just ordered like hundreds of them <laughs> from these free sites and they're still coming in. Are they really? To this day. And um, yeah. I won't ask you what you do with them because I don't want to get you in trouble like from that point on. There's too. no so book we'll burden yeah. here. I like <laughs> okay, okay. I was really genuinely interested yeah. in like and and I'm and still and um but now they've gotten my phone number and they started to call me. So yesterday I had a half hour conversation with um a, a Muslim man who was trying to convert me. Yeah. And his big like we, we spent a lot of time talking, most of it, about this question of like how do you know yeah. that Jesus is God and man? Yeah. Like, where in the Bible do you see that? That's and really his good. argument was, we can't see it anywhere. And so, yeah. Matt, what would you say? Oh, How man. do we know that Jesus is both God and man? Such a great question. And and most fundamentally, we we know through revelation. Like, we know because God made that known to us. Um, we know it. Uh, from the accounts that we have in Scripture, the, the the accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, the Gospels, the four Gospels. We know it from the other writings of the New Testament, the epistles written by Paul and others. Um, we know it uh, primarily because of Jesus' own words and Jesus' own expression of that. So Jesus would say things like, the Father and I are one. Uh, or before Abraham was, I am. John's Gospel, actually, in particular, of all, of all the Gospels, uh, of all the of the four gospels and the writers of them, the apostle John, who wrote this letter that we're now studying together, his gospel has the clearest um, recounting of Jesus's words and phrases that that especially show us the divinity of Jesus. The the famous seven I am sayings uh, that Jesus is is equating himself by saying, "You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd." Those are, and then, and then even in one instance when he just says, before Abraham was, I am, he's, he's equating himself in those phrases to Yahweh. That's what Yahweh means when God uh, reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush and Moses asks who he is and he says, I am who I am, uh, which is where we get the, the transliteration of that into Yahweh, the, the, the word we use for God in the Old Testament. But, um, so that we, we know from Jesus, we know from his own um, from his own sayings that were that were faithfully entrusted and recorded by the apostles. Um, we know too then, as an extension of that, that the first couple centuries of the early church were spent taking the words of Scripture that had been revealed by by Jesus and then by the Spirit to the apostles, and and really fleshing out like what what did that mean and all these early church heresies that John even is one who's writing against in this letter, they were, they were debating like, well, maybe there's some weird nuance that Jesus is not fully God or not fully man. He's like mostly both of those things or all of one of those things and a little bit of the other. And there's a bunch of what's called Christological heresies or um, lies about specifically the person and nature and work of Jesus. Uh, and, Almost all of the original Christological heresies have to do with this question, too. Uh, the divinity and the humanity um, of Jesus. And was he fully both of those things? So maybe that's a, that's a quick intro to where my mind first goes. I would, I would certainly go to the words of Scripture. Um, I think in my head, and Greg, you, you know, flesh this out for me, but I think especially John's Gospel really gives us clarity to the divinity of Jesus. And I think especially passages like in Hebrews that talk about why Jesus had to become fully man to identify with us, um, 
and that he had to be made like us, that we, the children share in flesh and blood. This is a Hebrews two. I think he had to be made like us in every respect so that he could actually enter into death and, and therefore save us through his own death in flesh and blood. So those are, those are two kind of anchors for on the one hand, the divinity and the other, the humanity. Yeah. Yeah. But man, that's awesome. Um, and especially that, like that John eight reference with the, before Abraham was, I am like the, the, the Jewish people in that day also understood that he was claiming because like the next thing yes. that they do at the end of John 8 is they pick up stones to kill him right. for blasphemy. <laughs> right. And uh, so like everybody is on the same page with yep. that. There's yep. that awesome like C.S. Lewis quote yeah. where he talks about Jesus like either being a liar, a lord or a lunatic. Yep. And uh, and he, he says this. He's like, I'm trying to prevent anyone here from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Hmm. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be (laughs) the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else is a madman or something worse. Hmm. That's good. Um, That's good. How, how, um, I'm curious how that conversation kind of ebbed and flowed for you yesterday with the Muslim man that reached out to you about the, the Quran and this specific view. Like Muslims, for example, really take exception with the idea that Jesus is the son of God, because in their minds, there's no way that that doesn't implicate God into a sexual relationship and therefore right. pollute or corrupt him in some way. So this is actually a, you know. Um, some of you know this even better than I do, but it, in global missions, in the global missions landscape, and especially in places that are predominantly Muslim, this is a debate that actually rages in uh, in Christian circles about if we say if we go into a to a context that's predominantly Muslim and we talk about Jesus being the Son of God, in in many cases it's a non-starter. So, kind of the question is like, well, can we just not share that title of Jesus on the front end in hopes that they can encounter? They can encounter Jesus through a different lens first, and then eventually we got to get there. That is a critical aspect of who yeah. Jesus is. We can't ignore that he's the Son of God, but do we have to lead with it and make it the stumbling block on which people fall, or for the sake of trying to help Muslims come to faith in Christ? So that I'm curious if that was maybe some of what he brought up there too, and he he was wanting to to, to de-emphasize maybe the um, the divinity of of Jesus because as the Son of God, he, that would implicate God in sexual yeah. activity or yeah the two main areas that we disagreed on and talked about were the trinity and christ's and the hypostatic union okay of christ being both god and and man that's, so we talked that's about a, good, that's a lot a good, about the trinity yeah and a lot about we really actually spent the bulk of the time talking about the end of john 8 huh. and jesus you know before abraham was i am yeah um and it was just fascinating hearing some of his like how he thought about it and kind of um did what what was from my perspective a bit of intellectual gymnastics to try mm-hmm. to get around the clarity of Jesus' statement yep. about his divinity. Yep. Um, yeah. But that's yeah, that's fascinating. But you, but it's, this is a great question because um, it really is the dividing line between Christianity, fought claims of Jesus, and every other religion, worldview, cult, uh, spirituality. I mean, it really, if the hype, you know, you use that term hypostatic union, which, you know, is the, is the way that it's a theological term for the union of, of Jesus being fully God and fully man in the same person. Um, 
And if that's true, that it really does make every other perspective and worldview a lie mm -hmm. uh, and really does call us to, to follow him in a unique way that we don't follow anybody else. This person asked if, remind me again, because they asked a couple of specific offshoot questions from this too. Yeah. So one of them was, how could Christ not know the things that only the Father knows? And another example would be, how can God die? <laughs> yeah. Which was like, th these were the questions that also I was asked by the Muslim man. Yeah. Jesus got tired and fell asleep in the boat on the lake. Yep. Does that mean that God got tired? Right. What yeah. would you say to that? Well, you have God resting in the seventh day in creation. So you have an aspect of that God rests. Mm -hmm. Now, does he do that because he's tired and couldn't possibly do another day of creative work? No, I think that you go too far when you say that. Um, and I think, I think it's important for, for Christians to acknowledge here too. And, and, and the early church acknowledged this, even as they upheld scripture says Jesus is fully God and fully man. You know, God, God is revealed in the person of Jesus. He's revealed as fully God, fully man. But there still is mystery around mm -hmm. this. How and and to to drill down on this, Calvin has this great phrase that I come back to all the time, and this is one of the, this is one of the places I come back to it. And he has this phrase called learned ignorance, where where essentially we we delve into what God has revealed in Scripture, we dive fully into it, and we try to learn everything we can possibly learn that God has revealed. And at the end of the day, there's still an aspect of our ignorance as created people that say we just can't grasp exactly how that works so how can god die only if god chooses to allow himself to die only if he in in that in, in that sense of being eternal um and being fully man and fully god in that moment is not exercising all of the aspects of his divinity and is able to die then um and same way in, in how can jesus not know things that only the father knows same idea that there is, it's a, it's a willful laying down Philippians two. Paul talks about, he, he took the form of a servant and made himself nothing like J Jesus willfully laid down certain expressions of his divinity, even though he remained fully divine, fully God, he laid down certain expressions of it. Um, while he was living and while he, as he became fully human, especially while he was doing his three years of earthly life and ministry, he laid some of those things down and didn't exercise uh, the fullness of what he could have exercised in that so that he could accomplish salvation in the way that he accomplished it. What, what would yeah. you add to that or clarify from that or um, what heresy am I getting close to that I need to avoid? As I <laughs> You're getting close to, uh, like, a, in the late 19th century, there was this, it wasn't heresy per se, but there was a view of, uh, that developed in, like, Christology um, called, like, there were kenotic views, mm -hmm. it, which comes from the Greek word kenao in Philippians 2 that said that God gave up in the incarnation certain divine attributes, yep. which I don't think is what you're saying. Right. That he, that he retained his full... Divinity. That's one of the confusing parts of like Chalcedonian Christology is saying um, that there is one person, yet two natures, and whatever we can say of the nature, we can say of the person, yeah. but we can't necessarily say of one nature what we would say of the other. Yeah. So we probably shouldn't say things like God died or God got hungry or right. God, you know, um, or that like... Jesus's physical body was everywhere yeah. um, or things like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's exactly right. Like 
at the center of all of this is a mystery. Nowhere else in creation, like this is the one place where God joined himself permanently to his creation. Yep. Of course, we should expect to not understand it. Yeah. Um, which in, in itself, the mystery is a kind of a beautiful thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It reminds yeah. me of this, like Augustine in his De Trinitatis has this one quote where he's like going on about like, what is the Trinity? Yeah. What is, and he basically, he basically says, um, we don't know, but we have to say something. Yeah. We can't say nothing. Yeah. Um, that's really good. And that's kind of how I feel about this. Also, yeah. like it's a mystery. We have to say something. We can't just be quiet. Yep. But it is really confusing. It's 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 not altogether different from where Paul goes in Romans eleven when he's talking about the mystery of both God's complete sovereignty and control over everything, including salvation, and people's responsibility. And and at the end of that, he just kind of ends Romans eleven with this doxology, like who yeah. can know the mind, who can know the mind of God. Yep. Um, but he thankfully has revealed enough to us that we can know enough. We have enough that is held out to us to know in order to, to know him rightly to experience salvation from him there, you know, even, even in line with the sermon series so that you may know we are given enough that we may know and have all the assurance and confidence that we need as people that are invited into fellowship with him, um, through the work of Jesus. And, um, that's not at all an an anti-intellectual kind of approach. Uh, it's not at all, to say that we shouldn't really dive in to understand as much as we possibly can from scripture. And you, you mentioned Chalcedonian Christianity. There's, there's, there's important councils in the history of the church that clarified these are right views of scripture about Jesus. And these are wrong views. Mm-hmm. And we have a rich tradition through those councils that have helped us build some really good guardrails to avoid saying things that we shouldn't say um, about Jesus. And, um, so we lean into those things. We learn as much as we can, but at the end of the day, we end up saying, and yet we remain created and God's creator and we're limited and finite in what we can, what we can ultimately, what we can know in this, especially in this life. Um, we, we know enough, enough has been revealed, but we don't know all. Right. Which is a beautiful thing. Like that's, you know, a God that can be fully explained is not a God that we should worship. It's really good. That's exactly right. Um, which actually kind of leads into the second question here. Great. That we have. Yeah. Um, the things that G- John says about Jesus, um, the, the Messiah and the message here, um, that we've heard, seen with our eyes, looked upon, touched with our hands, um, are really tactile. Like yeah. he doesn't say that which we have like learned from. Yeah. But it's like touched. Yeah. Why does he use such tangible, tactile language yeah. about Jesus? I think the touched part in particular, the tactile part, is to, to, and we, you know, that's part of where we get at this too, is to get at the full humanity of Jesus. Mm. That it wasn't just a spirit of God. Because people actually had heard from God for many years before Jesus. And people even had seen God, at least the back of God, pass by Moses in the cleft of the rock. You know, there, there were these instances of glimpses of something of the, of the, um, of, of a of a revealed vision from God that people could see aspects of that. Um, no one has ever seen God, you know, in the same way that people that we've seen Jesus. I forget if that's in James. Um, I forget what that is. The reference is escaping me. But um, but the touched part in particular, the tactile piece. There's no like that. That is emphasizing the the humanity of Jesus. That you actually have to. 
you actually are seeing physically a, a fully human person. You're seeing someone who does get hungry and have to eat. You're seeing someone, even after his resurrection, he says, put your fingers in the holes in my hands and my side to Thomas. Mm-hmm. Believe uh, this actually happened to me in flesh and blood, physical nature. I, we've, and so John's saying, we touched him. Like we, mm-hmm. we didn't just see a vision or have a hallucination. Uh, we didn't just hear something from the sky. Um, we... He, the other word he says there, there's, there's four. I didn't really get to unpack this yesterday, but we looked upon that which we have looked upon. That's this word that means we have intently gazed at, like we have mm. contemplated, we have beho- beheld um, in, you know, so, so there's like a, an intent way of looking upon and contemplating and considering Jesus. And you think even, I think of for John, who was known as the beloved disciple who reclined on Jesus at the last supper, you know, like there was a, an intimate relational knowing of someone that you, you behold another human being when you sit across the table from them over a meal or over a deep mm-hmm. conversation. You, and you feel like you're not just seeing them. Like I see lots of people. I don't behold that many people. And, mm-hmm. and when I behold people, it's like a, it's a totally different experience than seeing a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that word looked upon is that word like for behold. Um, and I think behold and touch really give us a sense that John was like, this this was a but this was a person walking with us in flesh and blood. Yeah. He was fully man. Right. That's good. Like he was not a phantasm. He's not a ghost. Yep. That's really good. I think too, maybe in the background was like what you mentioned about Gnosticism yesterday was one of the tenets of like this first century Gnostic belief was a, a cosmological dualism that broke the universe down into spiritual things and yep. physical things. And the physical things were bad and dirty and gross. Yep. And like the goal of life was to be freed from the physical into the spiritual. Yep. And John is just reminding his audience, like, actually, the physical is good and God created as well. In fact, God took yeah. on a physical. Yeah. We touched him. He yeah. was that physical. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. Which is like, there's a beauty of, of, in that as well. Yep. To bring, to bring that separation, that dualism to do away with that, to bring it back and say that the physical matters too. Yeah. It's not just the spiritual, it's the physical. Um, we, we have run out of questions, but I have one more question for you Oh man, that I just like, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I like asking people that preach this is if you had an extra 20 minutes in that sermon yesterday, Mm -hmm. what would you have talked about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think getting into some of some of more of maybe what the views were that were that existed at the end of the first century that caused John to to write a lot of this letter and to try to give confidence and assurance to people that they that they actually can know the truth. Um, there are a few different streams, early streams that led to Gnosticism, but they weren't quite full fledged Gnosticism yet. So there's like a little more in that that would have been maybe fun to get into. Um, I think I would have I, I would have liked to walk through. Um, I, you know, I really felt like I got to the end about joy and there was so much more about joy that I could have talked about there and why, why shared joy moves us toward completing our joy. Um, and, and maybe even specifically, um, how, how essential it is for us to live our lives. Um, you know, I, I think there's a, there's a pendulum swing that happens back and forth in our in in human civilization between like deep self contemplation deep self reflection we want to know ourselves which is actually really good cuz the you know Calvin talks about like that that we experience true knowledge of god as we know ourselves and we experience true knowledge of self as we know god that there that really is not a way to 
to break those things apart. So that, so not at all to say that we should just never, never reflect or not contemplate our life or what we're thinking about. The pendulum can swing. And I think it's swung pretty hard, even in the last two to three years with COVID shutting things down and people rethinking their life and the great resignation and all those kinds of things that people are like so reflexive or reflective. So, um, so reflective, so, so thoughtful, trying to figure out, um, everything about who they are and their perfect fit for life and their goals for life, that there's a sense that, that you, you drive yourself discontent and miserable by overly being focused on, on yourself by, by like, by, by, by looking too hard and intently at trying to discern all that internally. And so that there, that there really is something in the economy of God that calls us to look up and out and actually to find more joy by sharing joy. Um, and by, by, um, like the John would say to other Christians, it's really, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's fascinating to me because he says it, that make our joy complete. Like he wants joy. He wants more of it himself, but the way he's going to, the way even he's going to experience more joy is when other people actually believe that this is true and find their confidence and assurance in this and step into it. So I think that's a, um, I think that would have been something that I would have loved to, to do a deeper dive into. That's awesome. Yeah. Great question. Well, thank you for preaching yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next week we're going to be hearing from my fellow resident, Anthony Wright, um, that you may know light. Mm -hmm. And I'm really looking forward to that. Just one last reminder that you can pick up your John scripture journals in the fellowship hall for these next couple of weeks with a suggested donation of $5. Yeah. And there's, um, and there's also, and if you're in a Bible study currently, you hopefully got an email from Steve on Friday. Uh, it also would be listed if you use the Church Center app in your Bible study group on there. There's a resources tab in your group. You go into your group, click the resources tab. There's a Google Doc that's linked there. And each week, uh, whoever is actually uh, preaching that Sunday is going to drop in three or four discussion questions that are directly from the sermon. So some of the reason that, you know, Greg, you're talking about the, the scripture journal. What, we, what we've found is that the more directly applicable the questions are to the sermon itself, the better and the more helpful. So we talk about those sometimes on this podcast. Um, but also there's going to be questions in this Google doc every week for your Bible study to discuss. And they're actually written by the person who preached the sermon. So there's, there's four questions in there already from, from yesterday's sermon that I wrote that really flow from the different points I preached on yesterday. Like why do we need both the Messiah and the message of the gospel? Um, what would it look like for others to gain increased clarity about what Christians believe by focusing on the personal work of Jesus as opposed to other things? Um, how much assurance and confidence are you experiencing right now in your life? And is it overflowing into to proclamation? So these are things that came up in the sermon yesterday and they're questions that we'd love for you guys to talk about as you um, get to meet with your Bible study group this week. Well, that's all for now. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.